Father, we come to you this morning. We come in gratitude that we can even approach you as our Father. We're humbled this morning as we stand before your word. We're humbled as we dig into this glorious truth that we can come to you as your children. So, Father, I pray that my words are clear, that they're helpful, that they bring you glory and honor, burn off whatever doesn't do those things. Holy Spirit, be our teacher. Give us focus this morning to learn from your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. It is good to be together. Where you're here on the floor, whether you're way up in the balcony, whether you're joining us online, I am so glad that each and every one of you is here today. Well, last week we celebrated Easter. What a joy to celebrate the resurrection. And, and with Easter, there is an argument. The argument of Easter is very simple. It says, uh, if Jesus rose, all this stuff is true. If it's not, we're wasting our time. Paul says, uh, if, if the dead don't rise, he said, then we are to be pitied above all people. Eat, drink, for tomorrow you die. <laughs> Very subtle words from the Apostle Paul. But we believe that the resurrection is true, 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 capital T, true, true for all time, and it makes all the difference in the world. Last week, we landed with this verse um, from Romans 8, 11. It says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. Now, hear me this morning. The same spirit, the Holy Spirit, the power that enabled Jesus to rise from the dead is inside of you. As a follower of Jesus, that promise is true. The God of the universe, the creator of the universe, has sent his spirit to be inside of you. Don't minimize that. That is true. Now, we're in Romans 8. If you've been with us, we've been on this journey through Romans 8, and for my money, there is no more powerful chapter in the whole Bible than Romans 8 about understanding your relationship with God. What does that really look like? I'm at a point in my life when I'm just tired, tired of like churchy cliches. Are you with me? Life is hard. Life is a challenge. Life is a battle. I don't have time for cliches. Sometimes a personal relationship with God in our culture can be turned into a cliche. What does that really mean? What does it really mean to have a personal relationship with God? No better place to go than Romans 8. But here's my question, two questions. What is the basis for your relationship with God? What is the foundation? What is the basis 
That is a who you are question. That is an identity question. And then how does this basis determine what you do? How does who you are connect with what you do? If we can figure that all out this morning, we'll have done some great work. So I don't know what you bring to this room today. You may bring pain. You may bring joy. Whatever you bring, I'm glad you're here. We're going to sit under the authority of God's Word for a few minutes. I'm going to start with Romans 8, and I'm going to read 12 through 17 in its entirety, then we'll break it down. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let's dig in. Let's start at verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. So what are we indebted to? Do you appreciate debt? I do not. Debt can be a powerful thing. To be indebted to something is to be obligated to something. When you think about how financial debt works, it can enslave. You can take one step forward and two steps back. You can get in a hole that you can never get out of. You can be literally enslaved by debt. Now, Paul writes from a culture where he's talking about a culture of slavery, not American chattel slavery, but slavery where many, of the, um, many people got themselves into slavery through lack of economic resources. So his Roman audience would hear this sense of financial indebtedness and think that way. So what's it mean to be indebted to the flesh, to be obligated to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, according to the way of the world? This is a worldview issue. How do I see the world? What lens do I look through? So as we've talked about each week, in in some ways, Paul is addressing both a Roman uh, Christian audience a Gentile audience, and a Jewish Christian audience. So the Romans, sometimes they would think of this uh, kind of mind-body or spirit-body split. The spirit was good, the body is bad, so do whatever you want with the body, it doesn't matter. So go do whatever you want. So there's a permissive to this to that. Jewish audience, we've got the law, there's a tendency towards legalism, so we're trying to communicate to both audience demands. So here we are today, and we have both kind of that Roman influence and the Jewish audience, the influence that would say, on the one hand, we can be too permissive. 
On the other, we can be legalistic. So how do we step into this? So what are you living according to? What is your natural default? Let's continue. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is a dichotomy here that seems kind of harsh and sobering. There's an if-then statement. Two pathways for Paul. You're either living according to the flesh, according to the way of the world, that's your natural default, and you will die. You will die forever. Or you will live by the Spirit and put to death the deeds of the body, and you will live. This is both a sobering message and a hopeful one. Some of you, if you've played church for a while, you may say, oh, well, now hang on a minute. I thought I was saved by grace through faith. All that justification, redemption, propitiation stuff, Paul, that's great. I want to celebrate that. But what are you telling me here? I didn't think I was saved by the way I live. Aren't you going back to some kind of works righteousness, Paul? No, 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 no. Let's look at the process for a minute. Hang with me. Let's look at the big picture. God is always the first mover. Can I get an amen on that? God is always the first mover. His Spirit is pursuing you. When we respond by faith, we confess with our mouth, we believe in our heart, we are saved in that moment. And that is the moment at which we receive the Holy Spirit. Paul put it this way in Ephesians 1, 13. He says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, that is a moment in time, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We've talked With Paul, there's the already and the not yet. All these things have already happened. Jesus has already died. He has already paid the price in full. There is a not yet that is to come. But what do we do in the middle, in the right now? What is going on? How do I live in this moment? How do you live in this moment? How do we put to death the flesh. I'm going to share a lot of glorious truths, but I don't want you to miss the challenge. We are called to put the flesh to death. That is not an optional statement. So how does it work? Verse 14, for all who are led By the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So what is the basis of your relationship with God? What is the basis of sonship, your identity? When we put our faith in, and trust in Christ, Paul says we become sons. 
we become sons. Now, this is important. This is a legal status. Go back 2,000 years, Roman audience. Don't say, why doesn't he say daughters? We'll get there in just a second. Sons is important here. In Roman culture, if you were adopted, what this meant is you had a, a, a wealthy uh, Roman citizen who did not have a male heir, so he would pick one and say, you are now my son. And four things happened. First of all, all your debts were paid. Second, you got a new name. You got the family name, which means now you're an heir. Your father is now responsible for all of your future debt. And with that also comes an obligation to please the one who adopted you. Now, Roman adoption applied only to sons. Now, notice what Paul is doing here. What Paul is doing here is remarkably progressive and even subversive for its culture. Because he is talking about men and women who can be adopted into the family and have the same rights and privileges as sons in Roman culture. What a beautiful statement. We need to hear that this morning. Women who follow Jesus are adopted into the family and have the same privileges of adoption. Incredibly important to understand how progressive this was at this particular time. So let me ask you, what is the basis for your relationship with God? Is it who you are or what you do? Jesus tells a famous story, and I can think of no better illustration. He says this in Luke 15. He's talking about uh, the prodigal son. And it goes like this. Uh, one of the sons comes to him and says, uh, hey, Dad, give me what you owe me. I want my inheritance now. In other words, I want you dead now. I want my inheritance now. So what the father has to do, he has to sell everything and give his son half because he had an older brother. The son goes out and he squanders it on wild living. And he comes to the point where he is, he's so poor, he's so destitute that he's eating pig slop, which is just wrong on so many levels, especially for a Jewish boy. And he comes to his senses finally and he says, maybe, maybe if I go back to my father's house, maybe he will take me on and live like one of his hired hands because there's, they're in a lot better shape than I am right now. And he comes back to his father and he's expecting his, his father to, uh, to be angry and he's afraid and all these things. And what does the father do? He says, oh, first of all, he runs greets him, put a ring on his finger, give him a coat, go slaughter the calf, let's have a big party and celebrate my son who was lost is now found. Great celebration. 
What did that son do to earn that? Nothing. The older brother, though, he says, hey, what about me? I've always served you well. I've always done what is right. Where is my party? Now, it's interesting. When you look at those two, you have two different types of relationships here. You have this beautiful father-son familial love, grace-oriented relationship, and then you have the older brother that it's still business. There are two ways to relate to God. One is in the family sense. One is in the business transactional sense. One is out of fear and duty. One is out of love and gratitude. Let me break this down for just a minute. Think about business versus family. I want you to think about a landlord-tenant relationship and a family home situation. How many of you have ever rented an apartment? How many of you have ever broken a lease? So what happens? You go out and you rent the apartment and you, you sign some type of agreement. You make a promise. If I pay the rent, I will get to continue to live here. If I don't tear up the place, I might get my security deposit back. Perhaps if you've had college children, hypothetically speaking, you haven't gotten all those security deposits back over the years. Some of you are with me on that. So what happens if you break the lease? You've made a commitment. You've made a promise. But here's the deal. It is always conditional. It is a transactional relationship. The relationship is always based on behavior, and it can end, it can be broken at any time. Now compare that to a family. If you're a parent, you've got kids, maybe during the pandemic you've had some who maybe you thought would be signing a security deposit someplace else have been living in your home. Maybe you've been in that situation, and perhaps even those, uh, maybe there's been stress in that. Hypothetical, this is not an autobiographical statement. It's been nothing but joy having my kids in my home during the, the pandemic. That's 98% true. But even in that, you see the tension. You're not going to kick your kid out. You're probably going to put up with something that you might not if you were simply a landlord. But I want you to think about that family relationship. It's not based on a lease agreement. It's not based on anything like that. It is based on who you are. You are my child, and it is on that basis that you live in my home. Now think about this. Let's apply this to God for a minute. If I'm in a business relationship with God, then I'm afraid because I'll never be able to hold up my end. I may be waiting on God to prove himself to me. My evidence that God is good is based on my circumstances. 
If God works out this detail in my favor, he's good. I prayed and got an A on the test. The deal went through. My cancer got healed. Therefore, God is good. Therefore, I can trust him. I want you to think about that type of arrangement. It's an arrangement that's transactional. It's a relationship that is based on fear. But Paul says, no, you don't have to be afraid. Why? You're adopted. You're part of the family. On what grounds? God's love for you. So how do you know this? How do you experience this? This is what Paul's going to answer. He says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. He said we can cry out to him. We can cry, Abba, Father. Abba means it's Aramaic for daddy or dada. It is the, the picture of the child crying out in full dependence. That's the picture. To cry. What does your relationship with God look like this morning? Is it a business transaction? I've added it all up. I can come to God based on this, 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 and he's been good, and I've been good, and maybe it's time. Or is it the cry of a baby that says, I'm desperate, I am in need? That's the difference. The God of the universe bears witness, testifies, confirms, yes, this is true. 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So what does this mean? It gets even better. Not only you are, are you a child now, God of the universe has adopted you. You're his child. You can come to him with anything. Abba, Father. That's true. In the right now. But there's a not yet. In the not yet, you will be an heir. There will be an inheritance. There will be something better than you can even imagine right now. The Roman audience would have understood that in their context. The, the, the Jewish Christians would have been thinking Old Testament and promised land and all that kind of stuff. For us, though, it's better than we can imagine. We would be an heir, a co-heir with Christ. Can you let your imagination fill with that for just a minute? Some of you here today... You, I don't know what stage of life you're in, but that day may come really soon. None of us know. But let your imagination be filled. Can you picture that in your mind, that you will be an heir, a co-heir with Christ? Now, with that tremendous blessing also comes the responsibility. Part of bearing the family name, part of the inheritance is a responsibility that in the right now, we will suffer. 
Living like Jesus is a life of sacrifice. Putting to death the things of the flesh, putting to death everything I want to do, when I want to do it, the way I want to do it, that's sacrifice. There can be suffering in that. So there's both the, the blessing, the privilege, the inheritance, and the suffering. Those two go side by side. That's one of the keys to the Christian life. How can you put the blessing and the suffering together? Can you do that in your mind? Can you put the blessing and the suffering? Do you say, God is only good if I don't suffer? That's where we go down the wrong hole. That's when it gets transactional. That's when it's business-oriented. That's not scriptural. Paul's saying you can have the blessing and you can have the suffering, and you can hold those two together. You will be glorified with him. There will be a day, this is the not yet, when you'll be glorified with him. You'll be a co-heir with him. That's what we have to look forward to. No more pain, no more suffering, no more sin nature. <laughs> and saying, did God really say this? Make sure you get yours. That sin nature's gone. It's been defeated. So we look at this glorious truth that we can come to God as our Abba Father. Now, how do we apply it? How do you take this truth and apply it? Some of you today may be in this situation. You're just searching. You are desperately searching for something and you feel really distant from God. Some of you may be in a tremendous battle. I'm just going to say it with sin right now. There's something that is, you are just battling. I don't know what that is. It's, it's going to be different for everybody. The root's going to be about the same. Whatever the case, wherever you're coming from this morning, whatever pain you bring, God is saying we need to apply the truth of adoption. And I think the truth is simple for us today. It's simply this, to focus, to set our minds on the truth of adoption. To let that truth dominate our thinking. To put it right square in the center. That when you put your faith and trust in Christ... You become a child of God. When your mother gives birth to you, you are not a child of God. You are born in the image of God. But what the Bible teaches is when we put our faith and trust in Christ, that's when we become a child. Let me ask you today, have you done that? Have you put your simple faith and trust and cried out, and confessed and believed in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. So that may be you today. 
But how do you set your mind on the truth of adoption? I think there are a few things. First of all, we go to the Word. If you go to Ephesians 6, it says, you know, it talks about spiritual warfare and putting on the full armor of God, and there is one offensive weapon, and that is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So we focus our minds on the Word of God. We focus our minds on the truth of who God is. The Spirit leads us into all truth, produces joy, gives us a clear picture of who Jesus is. I think it's really important for us to hear this morning from God's Word because we believe God's Word is true. We believe that you can't just make up in your own mind who God is. You can't just create a Jesus that you like in your own image. We've got to go to God's Word. That's where the truth is, and it's the Spirit that leads us there. Second thing, we can pray to our Abba Father. How do I focus my mind? How do I focus? I actually pray to God my Father, my Abba Father. Jesus, when he's teaching his disciples how to pray, and he, he gives them what we know is the Lord's Prayer, and he says, you earthly fathers, you, you know this. You know how to give good gifts to your kids. If, if your, your kid asks for a piece of bread, you're not going to give them a stone. But then he says this in one of the most beautiful lines in Scripture. He says, you who are evil know how to give good gifts, but how much more? How much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit? He doesn't say all your circumstances are going to be great. It's all going to be rainbows and unicorns. He says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. It's going to remind you of who you are. You're a child of God. If that's true, everything else will fall into place. The third thing, this may surprise you, go to war against sin. Go to war. In, in light of who you are, go to war against sin. Tim Keller says this, sin can only grow in the soil of self-pity and a feeling of oddness. God owes me. I deserve this. I'm entitled to this. God Ultimately, you're not enough. Go to war against sin. But I do it in light of who I am as a child of God. We stop feeding it. You know what's your problem? I know what mine are. Stop feeding it. Live up to what you have already attained. Paul says this in Philippians 3. Live like a child of God. That's our responsibility. But I, again, I don't start with the behavior. It's not guilt and shame. It's not, it's not fear and duty. That will only be temporary. When I, when I go to war against sin, I do it as a child of God empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's where it starts. My motivation is to please my Father. Think of that prodigal son. What do you think the next day was like? How do you think he felt about his dad? 
The fourth thing, get help from your family. If this stuff's true, if Jesus really rose, if we're really children of God, then you have brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are a church family. Not just our church, but the church, capital C. We have brothers and sisters who can support us, pray for us, help us see what we don't see about ourselves, and encourage us. And then finally, if I'm going to apply this truth, it's something I ought to be sharing. If this stuff's really true, if I really have the Spirit, if I can come to my heavenly Father as my Abba Father, that's a truth so beautiful I ought to be able to share. Now, I want, I want this thought of adoption, of being a child of God, I want that to sit on your mind for a second. We're going to do something right now. Matt's going to come forward, and Matt's going to lead us in some choruses that help us set our minds on the truth of adoption. We're going to take communion together in a few minutes as brothers and sisters in Christ. But right now, we're going to sing and we're going to proclaim the beautiful truth that we are children of God.